To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. So to start us out, there's a term that you use in this book that uh, we find very helpful and talk about a lot on this show in many ways and forms. Can you start us off by talking about what you mean by administrative violence? Yeah, definitely. I think in order to I want to say a couple of things that like about the context in which the book was emerging that that made me need to name administrative violence and point people towards the administrative state as the as the place to think about trans law. And that's that, you know, I came of age mid 90s through the 2000s in the context of like a mainstreamed gay and lesbian rights advocacy framework, you know, forwarded mm-hmm. by these kind of like white led legal orgs that were very much working in the realm people call equality law or civil rights law like the realm of law that's like anti-discrimination laws, hate crimes laws, can you get married, can you join the military? Like those are like these classic places that I think ordinary folks think of as what rights is and also that like legal scholars and lawyers think of as like what constitutes like, are you a full citizen? And it's part of a narrative in the US about black people having been excluded from that and then being included in that meaning that like anti-black racism is over. It's like this nationalist US narrative about that being the place where equality lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm coming of age as a person, you know, raised poor, really concerned about welfare and immigration policy and all these things, and feeling really frustrated as I come out as a queer person and later trans person by the focus on those areas because I'm, you know, reading critical race theory and I'm um engaging in various kinds of like, you know, street-based anti-police and and other, you know, anti-Giuliani radical work. And I'm like, we all know that civil rights law didn't do that, that this progress narrative is a lie, that you can say that people, you can say that racism is illegal in the United States while racism actually worsens. And while like we build this giant, you know, prison and policing system that keeps expanding and this intense um, immigration enforcement system can keep building the military. So I'm coming of age in this period where I'm like, that agenda is very, is very wrong and missing something. Mm-hmm. And the ways that people in our communities are experiencing violence aren't captured by that at all. You can live in a place where those things are supposedly enforced or whatever, where you you, know, you, right. you can live in a jurisdiction that has an anti-discrimination law that includes even at the time that was shocking trans people in some places or that you have hate crime laws and the day-to-day of police violence and poverty and um, not being able to get housing and just like what's happening to you at school, like all that stuff and foster care, like is just utterly unchanged or worsening because because the the broader context of the society is worsening, like, you know, uh, the wealth gap sharpening, the um, policing and prison expanding. And so that's the moment I was living in. Then I, you know, I come up through that, decided to go to law school and, you know, doing this kind of um, poverty law work in a lot of contexts, like with orgs that do stuff around people, you know, who are labeled with psychiatric labels, people who are unhoused, like you're just doing different kinds of poverty work. That's where I'm engaged with harm reduction frameworks and, and, and doing, you know, trans liberation work. And so what I was trying to say in this book was like, these systems will say that they are now race or gender neutral. Will They will write laws and there will be policy frameworks we're living under that don't say like trans people are bad or like women are worse than men or like white people are <laughs> superior, but they do the same job. And so that they manage to administer this violence into our lives, very much targeted at particular people, although not targeted in the way that we think of discrimination, where it's like the discriminator was like, you are bad, you cannot work here because you have this identity, but instead targeted through these population level interventions where you have what look like facially neutral administrative rationales Mm -hmm. that actually deliver this life-shortening 
impact in people's lives. And part of that for me was also about having an account like I know that you all also are fans of um, Ruthie Gilmore's work, right? Like Ruthie Gilmore, like part of the reason we all love her of many, many reasons is she had her, her definition of racism was so useful, you know, when it emerged and it's still useful to people today that it's group differentiated vulnerability to premature death. Mm-hmm. That phrase to me, what that means is like the proof is in the pudding. It's like, do certain people have shorter lives than racism is happening instead of what the law has traditionally said, which is like, can we find the racist and find the memo where they wrote, I'm going to be a racist now. And if we can't, we can't prove it. So this is part of why civil rights law doesn't work, right? Is because it's so impossible to prove this stuff. And this is also how like, you know, whatever, many attempts at remedying systemic racism have been undone by courts being like, you, we can't find that specific specific memo or they say smoking gun. And so therefore we're not going to name it. So so this is a lot of what I was trying to talk about was that when you look at, at um, administrative frameworks, like the framework for giving out uh, different kinds of, you know, poverty alleviation related benefits and um, and welfare in the United States, you have to have this really complex analysis of how race and gender work in it. It's not like it it's racially and gender, like facially neutral, supposedly, like doesn't say like, we're going to make this worse for black women, but it's mobilized around a narrative about black women's overreproductivity and all this, you know, all these like welfare queen mythologies and like a, a framework that hates black women is central to, to producing the narrative that makes these, uh, you know, makes 1996 welfare reform and, and many other policies happen the way they happen. They don't just impact black women, actually tons and tons of other people of other genders and racial, you know, identities are impacted by these terrible anti-poor policy that's mobilized by a framework against Black women. But Black women also still experience it the worst. Like if you if you look at the research around like what happens when people go into welfare offices, like a Black woman with the exact same case will be treated worse than like a white woman or a Latinx woman or something like applying for the same benefits. So you get this co- complex layering of how these systems are operating at this point where you have facially neutral legal and administrative um, policies. You have uh, rhetoric that is about targeting particular people and that has us associate particular types of life that the U.S. population decides are like unworthy, are threatening, are drains, are, Mm -hmm. you know, not personally responsible enough, whatever, all the different buzzwords of of neoliberalism and, and conservative politics. And then you have the impact being actually wider than just that set of people, which the law would say if the impact is wider than just that set of people, it wasn't discriminatory. Like that's how the law is like, I must, we must find a one-to-one, we must find a discriminator and then a victim who looks just like they were trying to discriminate against or else it's not, there's not inequality happening here. But people like Ruthie and me are saying, oh no, no, like this, the, the distribution of harm and of people having their lives shortened is can it happens in a much more complex and nuanced way that still does land worse for certain people who live at like the tip of the knife of these kinds of harmful systems, but actually lands on a lot of people slash sometimes almost everyone. Um, so, so administrative violence was a a term I was trying to use both to redirect us towards looking at these other places that are considered neutral or banal. Like, why do we have driver's licenses that have gendered markers on them? And I think mm-hmm. at this point, this is not as hard for people to think about. But at the time, people, this was, a, I think, a bigger intervention. Or why do, why do we have gender segregated facilities at all? Like, how is that inevitably going to be enforcing racialized gender norms if we have right. gender segregated <laughs> group homes and shelters and prisons and jails and everything else? Um, why do we have, why is the way that Medicaid records are kept that has gender markers inside them? And then they can deny you medication if they think it doesn't fit your um, gender marker. Like why does this stuff that is just kind of the, you know, I, I rely in the book a bit on 
some theorists who are like librarians who study like sorting, you know, Boker and Starr, and they're talking about mm-hmm. like how these, how any way that we kind of classify and sort things can often appear to be like very like neutral intellectual process, but actually is establishing hierarchies evaluation is saying these things are the same, these things are not, and is a highly political process. So just trying to like identify that, the, like the kind of the rubber meets the road of trans people dying because of things like being denied medication through Medicaid, um, you know, not being able to use the shelter system because it's putting them in a super extremely dangerous shelter, not that there's any safe shelters in our society. Um, but, you know, that kind of really looking at some of the, you know, being being pushed out of school um, because not being able to use a bathroom, like all of these pieces that are just the kind of like, look like these kind of peaceful, like neutral um, administrative regimes that are actually deadly. So trying to put the word violence next to like the word administrative, people think of violence, they're like, let's find the hate criminal. Let's go after right. that guy who beats trans people up on the street. And I'm like, let's actually, if we really want to like stop trans early death, we would look at the, in these other locations, essentially. To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash pod. You'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron only episodes and be the first to get a new patron episode every Monday when it drops. With love, the death panel.